Hi, this is Kale Clark. Welcome to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio mobile app. I'm so glad that you're with me today for this journey of exploring, understanding, explaining, and defending our Catholic faith. We're going through the Lord's Prayer. This is the Our Father series here on The Faith Explained. We're going through the seven petitions of that prayer, kind of praying the prayer in slow motion, I guess you could say, and, and breaking it down and really savoring the richness that's there. And where we are right now is the fifth petition, which is this, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, when you read this in, now there are two places as we talked about before in the Gospels where Jesus brings the teaching of the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. The first one is in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 7. And then we also have it in Luke's Gospel as well. And so here's how it reads in Matthew, uh, in Matthew seven twelve. it says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So Sometimes it colloquially it's, trans, it's translated as trespasses, as we have it in, in the form of the prayer that's been passed on to us. But it actually says debts in Matthew. Now in Luke's version, in Luke chapter 11, verse 4, Luke actually says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So debt and sin, those are the two images there. And really what kind of underlies both of them, I, I think Craig Evans is right about this, there's an Aramaic word that's in play. And don't forget that Jesus probably knew more than one language, maybe a few. <laughs> he would have known, of course, Aramaic, which is the street language of the day that people would have spoken in Galilee. That's what he and the apostles would have conversed in on the road as they walked and talked. And then, of course, he would have known Hebrew as being a good son of the synagogue, reading the Old Testament scriptures in the original tongue and hearing them preached. And then also, of course, he probably would have had to know a little bit of Greek because he and Joseph doing commerce in the Roman Empire, they would have had to know this to do some contract work and maybe even a few Latinisms here and there as well. So Jesus was, you know, pretty multilingual, I guess you could say, for his time. And there's a word in Aramaic, that street language I just spoke of, the word hoba, hoba. And that word in Aramaic means both debts and it also means sin. So it can mean debt and sin. Now, of course, you really could say that sin is the debt that we owe to God. And it's a debt that we can't pay uh, on our own. But Jesus Christ, uh, through his grace, pays it on our behalf. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today in this episode of The Faith Explained. There's really a great gospel passage, a parable that Jesus told, and an incident that happened in his life that really dovetailed with this in Luke chapter 7 that really illustrates this idea of debt and sin, those two concepts working together. I want you to open up your Bible with me to Luke chapter 7, starting with verse 36. Now, this is a, a situation where Jesus has been invited to dine at the home of Simon the Pharisee. Now, here's what it says. This is verse 36 of Luke 7 and following. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was sitting at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. 
and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, What is it, teacher? A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed five hundred denarii and the other fifty. When they could not pay, he forgave them both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, to whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this, who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You're listening to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio. I'm Kale Clark. Okay, let's take this apart a little bit. Now, some people think that this is actually the same incident that's narrated later in some of the other Gospels. In Matthew 26, in Mark chapter 14, in John chapter 12, just before his passion, just before Jesus is arrested, there is another anointing uh, by a woman of Jesus. And I don't think this is the same event. I think this is a separate occasion. Uh, There's a couple of uh, big differences here with this episode when you compare it to the anointing that Jesus had during Passion Week. For example, this happened at Simon's house in Galilee, Simon the Pharisee, not in Judea. Uh, Here Jesus' feet are anointed, not his head, as what happens later on. And so, the, the venue is different. Jesus is with his disciples later. Now, of course, he is at Simon's place, as I just mentioned. So I do think this is a separate event. Now, there are a number of strange aspects to this account. First of all, how strange it is that Simon would invite Jesus to come to his home and then not extend him the common courtesies that, that everybody did. This is part of hospitality. Uh, in the ancient first century world, uh, Jesus complains that Simon never gave him water for his feet. Now, of course, walking the dusty roads of Galilee, of course, people wore sandals back then. Um, yeah, your, your dirty, sweaty feet, of course, you're going to want to provide a basin. There would be servants in the home uh, that would help you to kind of clean up before he entered the house. And what about this? He says, you gave me no kiss. Now, that is, of course, this customary kiss of peace, this greeting of friendship. That was often given, and that is tragically uh, the kind of kiss that uh, Judas used to betray the Lord, uh, lying with his body. Hey, I'm your friend. 
Uh, here's the kiss of peace. No, I'm about to betray you and turn you over to the authorities. And so this is a very, very strange way for Simon to behave towards Jesus, who he wants to invite over probably because he respects him as a teacher. So <laughs> another odd thing is, is how did the sinful woman get into the home and, and get into the dining area? And the way that these dining areas were set up, uh, they weren't at sort of tables with chairs that are high off the ground like we have today. Basically, there, there would have been a very low table, very low to the ground. And very often these tables were made of stone and people would recline at the table. And so you would kind of lean on your elbow and recline. And so if you're next to the host, then that is a position of honor. Uh, we would have seen John in this position at the Last Supper. And so for some reason that this woman is somehow able to slip through and get into the dining area where everybody is gathered. So we may never know the answers to these questions, but let, let's keep going here. Jesus is doing exactly what he just talked about in Luke's gospel right before this. People complained about him. People complained, he said, about the Son of Man eating and drinking. Here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. So here's Jesus doing exactly that. He's eating, he's drinking, he's dining, and he shows himself to be a friend of sinners uh, with, with this woman. Now, of course, uh, Simon the Pharisee, when, when this woman uh, begins to anoint him, uh, begins to uh, bathe his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair, what is Simon thinking? Well, this guy can't be a real prophet. People think that he is, but if he really were, he would know this woman is absolutely sinful. He wouldn't be allowing this to happen. She probably had some uh, reputation uh, of maybe being an immoral woman, perhaps even involved with prostitution or something like that. And so Jesus, if he was really a holy man, the idea would be that he would recoil uh, from, from this and, and shoo her away. So Simon thinks he, he probably doesn't know what her life has been all about uh, to this point. So he's probably not a prophet. But the very next thing Jesus does is show that he is. And in fact, he can even read Simon's thoughts. And he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he says, well, what is a teacher? Okay, now you've got my attention. Now, now I'm calling you a teacher. Uh, what do you have to say? And then Jesus responds with this parable of the creditor and two debtors, this money lender, if you will. And so one of the debtors owes 500 denarii, the other owes 50. So both owe a debt, one owes much, much more. But both of them can't pay, they're not in good financial shape, so he just forgives them the debt. And Jesus asks a very simple question, who will love the creditor more? And, and Simon has the right answer. He says, the one that he forgave more, the one who owed more money, I suppose he will love him more. And he says, yeah, you're right. Simon, you're right. And, and so look at this woman. You, you've done nothing for me. You, you haven't even showed me common courtesy here. Didn't give me water for my feet. Didn't give me the kiss of greeting. But look at what she's done. She, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. She's washed them with her tears. She's anointed me, if, if you will. And so... This shows her great love. You are seen to be a righteous person. You're seen to be a Pharisee. Many of the Pharisees were righteous. They get a bad rap sometimes uh, in the church, but not all the Pharisees were bad. 
Uh, they looked for a lot of the th- same things that Jesus did and believed a lot of the same things that Jesus did. And so, because he thinks that he's righteous, he has no need of forgiveness, uh, he, he kind of shuns the woman aside and, and looks down upon her. But how, how silly this is, how strange this really is, this idea of looking at a fellow sinner and saying, hmm, I'm better than you. As one preacher said, it's a little bit like comparing with your friends who can jump closer to the moon, right? Compared with the the absolute purity, the holiness of God who is completely other. Both of us, two sinners, we need to be forgiven by God a lot. And so uh, no matter if one's slightly more holy than the other, we're both miles away uh, from the standard that God expects for us. And he makes it possible for us to live that uh, through his grace. And so this is a big key, uh, this parable that Jesus tells to, to illustrate this idea of forgiveness. Now, when Jesus says to the woman at the end of this episode in Simon's home, your sins are forgiven, that, that does show some, some clue as to who Jesus really is. Because again, only God can forgive sin. So the divinity of Christ is certainly at play here. You're listening to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio. I'm your host, Cale Clark. So that, that's one big uh, gospel story that, that sheds light on this petition in the Lord's Prayer. This idea of sin and debt uh, come together quite nicely with the formerly sinful woman and the parable of the debtors that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 7. But there's another one as well. Jesus says, listen, you've got to forgive others when they sin against you. It's incredibly important. Forgive our debts. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And we find a, an important uh, illustration of this one in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, starting with verse 23, uh, we have another sublime teaching of Jesus on this front. So if you want to open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 18, beginning with verse 23. Now you got to remember in the original texts of the Gospels, there were no paragraph breaks. There were no subheadings. So remember, it's just one continuous text. Well, just before Jesus tells this parable, what happens right before this? Peter comes up to him in Matthew 18, 21 and says to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Okay, now that, that might be translated slightly differently in your Bible. It might say something like 77 times instead of 70 times seven. The bottom line is it's a lot. <laughs> it, it's a lot. And of course, seven being that number of perfection uh, in the Jewish mindset. And so when Peter offers to forgive up to seven times, he thinks he's being super generous. And he might be thinking about uh, some verses in the Old Testament, uh, the, the case of Cain and Abel. Uh, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 15, God says, Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And so there are lots of uh, cases like this in the Bible where it talks about sevens. Uh, in Leviticus twenty-six eighteen, 
It says, I will continue to punish you sevenfold for your sins. In Proverbs 24, 16, it says, though they fall seven times, they will rise again. You know, this idea of the righteous person falling seven times a day and still getting up again off the canvas uh, to fight once more. And so Peter thinks he's being really generous, but it's not enough. It's not enough in the economy, God's calculation when it comes to forgiveness. Jesus says not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. So uh, again, this might go back to Genesis, uh, Genesis 4, 24, where it says, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 77-fold. You know, it's ultimate vengeance. Well, this is ultimate forgiveness here. And then Jesus tells another parable, starting with verse 23 in Matthew 18. He says, therefore, and remember, whenever you see in scripture the word therefore, you've got to see what it's there for. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. I know that's a cheesy, cheesy preacher's line, but I had to do it. Therefore, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the reckoning, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, up to this point, you might be thinking that this is very similar to the parable that Jesus told at Simon the Pharisee's house, but then it takes a turn. Let's look at verse 28 of Matthew 18. But that same servant, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and, and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison till he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord delivered him to the jailers till he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. So th this is the famous parable of the unforgiving servant. And so this is a great warning to us that the condition of our forgiveness from God means that we have to be willing to forgive others. And the point is basically that what Jesus is saying here really completes what he said to Peter about this ultimate forgiveness, 70 times 7. You've got to forgive those who sin against you. If you can't forgive a brother or sister who sins against you, don't, don't forget, they're a fellow sinner just like you, then why should you think that our sinless, thrice holy God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, will be willing to forgive you? If you can't forgive a fellow sinner, why should the perfect God forgive you? And so, this is a sobering question that we need to ask ourselves. 
So Jesus continues with this parable, and, and, and obviously there is a king in the parable, or, or, or a lord, as it's sometimes translated, and, and God is often personified in the parables of Jesus as a king, you know, a king who throws a wedding banquet for his son, that sort of thing. And so this is all over the place, especially in Matthew's gospel. And again, this parable is about two debtors, two people who owe. And in Aramaic, once again, that word hoba might mean the same thing. Debt and sin means the exact same thing in Aramaic. It could mean two sinners, not just two debtors. So the first person owes the king 10,000 talents. Okay, now just to put that into perspective for you, uh, Josephus, the great Jewish historian of the times, he, he's not, he wasn't a Christian, but he wrote about Jesus. He's one of the, the figures in history that wrote about the Lord. That's how we know that Jesus is a historical figure, even from outside of the Bible. People wrote about him, Josephus and many others. But Josephus said that in his day, the total tax revenue that was taken in by Judea, and of course that would be the province that includes uh, Jerusalem, the total tax revenue for one year was 600 talents only, okay? And that was during the reign, by the way, of Herod Archelaus, who was one of the the sons of Herod the Great. Remember, his kingdom was split up into four uh, after he died. Archelaus reigned over Judea, and he only took in 600 talents in taxes for the whole year. Well, this guy owes, in the parable, 10,000 talents. So we're talking like hundreds of millions of dollars here in, in comparison in today's U.S. dollars. So this this is an astronomical sum, but that's kind of the point here. That's kind of, the, people have read this and said, ah, oh, this, this doesn't make any sense, this isn't realistic. But that's exactly the point. Because when you sin against God, it's incalculable how much you owe him. You, you can't put a figure on it. So it, this is impossible to pay back from a human perspective. You need to be forgiven the debt. You need to have divine grace. And so this is exactly what happens in the parable. He could not pay, so his Lord orders him to be sold with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. And unfortunately, that, that's what happened uh, in the first century. And it was very, very common for people who owed money to be sold into slavery along with their families, and they would have to work off the debt. And of course, uh, this, this man is horrified uh, by this eventuality, and he starts pleading with the king, no, 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 please forgive me, please have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And the king has pity. He releases him from the debt. So he begs for mercy and is forgiven. Wow. So obviously, as you know by now, this is not simply about a generous king. This is really a teaching about God, the king of the universe, who forgives us despite the myriad ways we have offended him and, and do so on a daily basis. But this guy doesn't heed the lesson. He doesn't get it. He doesn't want to uh, take the grace that he's received and pass it on to others. He doesn't want to pay it forward. He doesn't want to forgive those who have sinned against him. So what does he do? The, as soon as he gets forgiven, this enormous amount he seeks out one of his fellow servants. And this guy, he owes him a hundred denarii. Okay, that's a lot less than 10,000 talents. Not nothing. It's not nothing, because don't, don't forget, 
that a daily wage at that time was a denarius, one denarius. So there is a parable about this: uh, the the day laborers. You might remember that one. So the wage, the usual daily wage, was one denarius. So a hundred denarii, denarii. That, that's that's not nothing. I mean, but it's not ten thousand talents. That's for sure. It's, it seems like nothing compared to that. And so, just like the original guy did, the second servant, he begs for mercy. Give me time. Please let me pay it off. I'll do it. But he receives no mercy. The first servant throws the second one into prison until the debt would be paid off. Well, the king hears about this. He catches wind of it, and he is absolutely livid. He says, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And so that mercy was then taken away. The first slave was thrown over to be tortured until the entire debt was paid off. And that was often done, by the way, at at the time. The torture would have been to try to get information. What did you do with the money? Where is it? (laughs) Uh, We need to find out. Uh, We need to recoup uh, that money. So this is a, a horrible situation for that first servant. And so he, he, he should have done what the, what the character in Jesus' other parable in Luke 7 did. The one who owed the most money and was forgiven the most money should have loved more. He should have loved the king for forgiving him and tried to be like the king and extend that mercy to others, but he didn't do it. So this is a, a grave and dire warning. God will not forgive us unless we are willing to extend that forgiveness to other people. It's not natural. We can't do this on our own. Loving our enemies is one of the hardest things we'll ever have to do, but we can do it with God's grace. It doesn't mean that we have to feel warm, fuzzy feelings towards those who have offended us, but it does mean that we have to make a choice with God's help, God helping you to forgive. And it has to be, as Jesus says, from the heart. Can we do that? Yes, we can. We can do it in the power of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining me today on The Faith Explained. I'm your host, Cale Clark. We'll be back with much more on the teaching of the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. That's all the time we have for today. But if you have a question about the Catholic faith, I'll try to answer it on the air. You can send it to me via email. The address is faith at relevantradio.com. F-A-I-T-H at RelevantRadio.com. You can try to get your question to me on the X app. My handle is at Kale Clark. I'll be with you later today at 5 p.m. Central for the Kale Clark Show live on Relevant Radio. And I'll see you in the next episode of The Faith Explained. God bless.